0: Hello and welcome to the Outside and Active podcast. My name is Dom and I'll be playing host to conversations tailored for those who love the outdoors. Thank you for joining me on this adventure where I speak to a whole host of interesting guests with inspiring stories. For our next stop on this adventure, we are joined by Bruce Fordyce, who is the most well-known runner in South Africa, having won the country's internationally famous Comrades Marathon eight years in a row and nine times overall. As well as actually winning the race nine times, he broke the course record five times whilst running it. And in 2011, Parkrun was born into South African communities, thanks to Bruce getting involved. He started Parkrun with the first event being held in Delta Park, Joburg, and the event was attended by just 26 people, and from there, the event has simply flourished. This podcast is an extremely funny conversation with Bruce and it was great to hear about the Comrades Marathon. If you've never heard about it before, then make sure to give this a listen as it's an incredible marathon and I I believe it's the eldest one in the world as well. But before we jump into today's episode, I want to say a massive thank you to the episode sponsor, ZenBee. Say yes to high-protein pasta. Zenbee's 100% yellow pea pasta is an easy way to enjoy great-tasting food whilst retaining nutrition from plant sources, helping you to live a more balanced lifestyle. Benefiting from being high in protein, fibre, potassium and phosphorus, Zenbee pasta is also gluten-free and a source of iron. Zenbee actually comes from the word Zenbu, the Japanese expression for whole, which is why Zenbee are on a mission to develop innovative ways to use as much of the whole plant as possible. Seed, stem, skin, all of it. You can view the full Zenbee product range today only at www.zenbee.co.uk. Go and grab yourself some high protein pasta. And with that, let's get straight into this episode of the Outside and Active podcast with Bruce Fordyce. Bruce, thank you very much for joining us on the Outside and Active podcast. How are you doing?
1: Great, thanks, Dominic. Yeah, fantastic.
0: It's it's a pleasure to have you, and I'm really excited to get into your running career and all of the things that you're doing now. But first up, I'm going to offer you a piece of advice from a previous podcast guest, and our listeners will know what this is all about, but they leave a piece of advice for someone that will be coming up on the podcast. They don't know who it's for, so you can take it in however way you want And this piece of advice comes from uh, a lady called Hannah Beecham, who over in the UK has set up a campaign called Red January, which gets people active during January, uh, builds a community, tries to get people doing something every single day, which will then set them up to have a sustainable active lifestyle after that. So it's a great campaign. And her piece of advice for you is to start small and realistic and enjoy where the journey takes you from there. So the question that kind of leads on from that is, are you someone that starts, starts a project or sets out in, you know, with, a, with a realistic mindset or are you someone that goes, if you're going to set your mind to something, you're going to go big and hard?
1: No, no. So I'm, I'd probably follow that advice. And by the way, it's particularly apt advice because I was at school in England in the 1960s. And I happen to remember that January is not a great month. <laughs> no, Just but... out, outdoors. I, I should point out for people who are listening that I um, watched on television as a young schoolboy, I watched England win the only football World Cup that they ever have won in 1966 in black and white. We didn't have color TVs in those days. And so they made Germany play in white and England play in reds, so that you could see the contrast between yeah. the dark yeah um yeah I definitely follow that advice with everything I do um, because I'm cautious and I think our sport running my sport running is always about cautious uh, being cautious. so when I started off with almost without knowing it I did exactly the right thing. my very first run that I ever ran on with a view to running the, the comrades marathon in South Africa which is a 90k race a year later. my first run was 10 minutes. I ran for 10 minutes. And I got it right. And at the moment, I can tell you because I'm using the same advice. I uh, broke my, uh, my leg the other day. I slipped on some, we have a beautiful tree in, in Johannesburg called a jacaranda tree, which has purple, beautiful purple blossoms. But when they fall off and they get wet in our su- thunderstorms here in Johannesburg, they become like ice. And I slipped on some and broke my leg, and I'm back again. But I'm, um, at the moment, I'm walking. And next week, at the end of next week, I will allow myself to jog a little bit, walk a little bit, jog a little bit, walk a little bit, and then gradually get back to running properly again. But I know that's kind of 12 weeks, uh, but I'm not impatient. And then last thing, I probably spent too long answering the question, but the way I run, have run all my races in my life, every single one of my races, and my credo for racing is to start like a coward and finish like a hero. So you, you start cautiously and you finish strongly. And if you start cautiously, you will always finish strongly.
0: I really like that. I like that. Yeah. And, and, and I'm interested to go into, you've mentioned the comrades there and all of the other yeah. races that, you, that you've been a part of. But we'll, we'll kick off with another staple question, which is what do you love about being outside and active?
1: Well, uh, you know, living in South Africa, of course, outside is is absolutely essential. It's just fantastic. I mean, if I look at Johannesburg, our winter, yeah, our winter lasts about three months. And and it's pretty cold. We get icy, icy cold. We I remember it, it snowed here yeah, once, um, September the 10th, 1981, it snowed. Um, but the rest of the time is, uh, you know, it's just glorious to be outdoors. And I'm an outdoors person, so... Um, When I'm not running, my favorite pursuit is going to the bush, going to places like the Kruger National Park, and just feeling contentment looking at an elephant or a lion on a kill or something like that. I'm going again next month for five days. Uh, But more particularly when I run, I I like to follow the seasons, uh, be the first one who hears the first cuckoo of spring, be the one who hears the last cuckoo of autumn, um, and particularly, I do a lot of writing and a lot of speech making. I've got a speech this evening that I've got to give. Um, and when I'm out there running, I, I'm very creative. And so I write my speeches and my articles and even a book that I've written. I, much of it is written while I'm running in my head.
0: It's it's interesting. I mean, uh, South Africa is a beautiful country. Joburg is lovely. The Kruger National Park. I've been there quite a few times all around different parts of South Africa. At Zimbabwe and, and Tanzania and it's a lovely part of the world but you also you, were you born in Hong Kong and you spent time in the UK as well so where, where does your heart kind of lie with obviously you're in Joburg now
1: yeah, I'm, I'm a child of I'm the child of the planet you know uh, I was born in Hong Kong because my father I'm a very famous regiment that you guys are my father was a Gurkha officer he was an officer in the Gurkha regiment and he sadly no yeah. longer with us but at the Queen's funeral I noticed that one of the one of the regiments that, that marched at her funeral was a Gurkhas, and I know he would have been, he would have had a tear in his eye. Um, and then I, I spent early days of my youth growing up in um, Malaya, as it was in those days, Singapore, Hong Kong, Malaya, Singapore. Uh, my father was involved in campaigns in Brunei and Sarawak and uh, Borneo um, in a war in those days called the War of the Running Dogs, 1960s, uh, around then. And so um, he was then posted back to the UK, he was posted to Sandhurst to teach jungle warfare because he was an expert on jungle warfare, which is an interesting thing wow. because he. my grandfather was the postmaster of a little town, it's called a Dorpy, a little Dorpy in the Free State called Ladybrand, which is kind of open uh, and flat top mountains and the opposite of jungle but anyway, he became an expert on jungle warfare so uh because of that he went back to sandhurst to lecture and so i went to school at king's school canterbury for five years in the 1960s which is why i was fortunate enough to win england to see england win yeah. the last <laughs> 1966 yeah i can name the whole team
0: yeah. well, well an amazing experience and particularly relevant now whilst the world cup is on and, and taking place in guitar and and uh wow that's that that is interesting three lines on my chest i hope you bring it home but i I mean we've been saying that for a long well since 1966 (laughs) your
1: your ladies did your ladies did the other day your women did yes they did they won the euros yeah Yeah, yeah. so
0: so hopefully they can follow the 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 men's team can follow on but oh amazing and and where
1: you're at now by the way you're not going to be just at rugby on saturday is it on saturday
0: no it's, then uh, well, it's not going to happen. Well, we only just drew with the Kiwis, so <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, drawing with the Kiwis is—I uh, mean, they, they are kind of continually the number one team in the world. Our great rivalry is our great rivalry is New Zealand South Africa, rugby. Yeah, yeah, the Tri Nations.
0: Oh, amazing! Well, that's another competitive element to it. Um, so back, back to your—you're running. You're sitting here and you've run over 150 ultra marathons, which is unbelievable but what where did it start where did you realize that you had an interest in running i know you tried out well i mean what other different sports did you try out and why did running really fit with you and where did you realize it was good
1: i've loved all sports you know i I love playing pop but i but i just found that i was really i used to get frustrated in team sports because you try your guts out on this side of the field and the other guy goes to sleep and now you and now the, the opposition score a goal or a try and um, mm-hmm. i was absolutely useless at cricket um, and <laughs> though i love cricket i mean i love watching it but um i've realized in later a- a years that i was short-sighted for a long time at school i was short-sighted didn't know i was i could never sit at the back of the class i sat at the front to read the blackboard but i didn't know why those days so i never saw the cricket ball um and then I, I amazingly I was a passionate rugby player scrum half number nine but I was just too small you know I mean the number nines now it's supposed to be the smallest position on the field, they're mm. all enormous yeah mm. and, um, and football I was great you want you want me and your team but yeah I just don't you know I just didn't have those skills but what I noticed was that no matter how long a game went on I never got tired and then when we had school athletics day and the teacher would tell me, in 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 my days at school, four I you're doing the mile, or you're doing the 880 yards. here in South Africa, you're doing the 1500 meters four you're doing the 5000 meters. I would complain, and then I would do quite well at it. And school cross country. In my final two years, I won the school cross country. But my school that I that I went to in South Africa was a school for hippies and poets and creative people and artists. Yeah. So to beat them was no great achievement. Didn't mean you're going to be, um, you know, kind of like world class or whatever but the comrades marathon is a massive event in south africa i'm trying to think what the equivalent would be and it would be like the london marathon but it's much older and yeah. it's the whole so it would be like watching the wimbledon final or or you know people who are not in, interested in tennis will watch the wimbledon final um, and people who are not interested in sport will watch the comrades marathon because it's 12 hours of live live television on that day oh, wow. and even Grannies who are not interested in the sport will get up at 5.30 in the morning, make tea and breakfast and spend the whole day in front of the television watching from the winners who do it in you know five and a half hours to the person who beats the final tragic, horrible cutoff gun, which fires at exactly five and a half. Hours. They will watch that whole day of drama, mainly because all of us know somebody who's running or have run it or intend to run it or are involved in some way. The country kind of comes to a standstill for Comrades Day. And so that got into my system, and I just thought there were a few things that happened simultaneously to spark my interest. It was one, I'd been at university for a couple of years and done nothing, and I'd got lazier and lazier. Well, I did what all students do. I uh, drank heavily, partied, <laughs> chased the opposite sex unsuccessfully um, <laughs> and, and, and did enough work to pass my degree each year so that I could come back. And I'm an archaeologist, so I, I studied archaeology and I taught archaeology at, at Wits University, which is in Johannesburg. And then I, I saw the Comrades Marathon on television. Amazingly, South Africa only got television in 1976 because the nationalist government in those days did not want us to see television programs where black and white people got on together happily they didn't want us to get the propaganda of proper of real life and so they held it at bay as long as they could but in the end it cracked in 1976 and I, I watched the Comrades Marathon on television they didn't show it live in those days but they showed a half an hour version of the race two weeks later and when I watched that that inspired me not seeing Alan Robb who won that year I didn't know that a few years later he and I would be Bitter rivals on the road, but I never thought I'd be. He was like godlike to win the race, but it was more the ordinary people who were finishing. I was saying, Well, that guy can make it, I can definitely make it. And then at the same time, my girlfriend broke up with me oh, lovely lady Elaine. Um, and so I had suppressed libido, so <laughs> I might as well run. And then, and then unfortunately, I got caught in a thing called the June 16th uh Soweto Riots, which was the the Pupils, the students in Soweto, were protesting against having to be taught their all their lessons in Afrikaans so-called language of the oppressor though actually Afrikaans is a beautiful language and it's an African language but they were, were forced to and so there were there were riots and demonstrations going on and people were killed uh, and June the 16th is always a massively symbolic day in South Africa because that's the day. Um, and so, as a passionate student, myself uh, a whole bunch of our students and, and I was included, decided we were going to march in solidarity with them. And as we started our march, we got smashed to pieces by the police. So I needed to have a project to do to have some kind of control of my destiny, that's it. And so I started, as I said, uh, I ran for ten minutes around my university rugby fields and I did it at night in case anyone saw me. and that was the start.
0: And then it grew and grew to you took part uh, what's the entry entry process like for uh, for running
1: in, well entry pro no I mean massive it's massive in South Africa yeah. so so comrades marathon entries opened yesterday and six thousand are already gone wow. for a 90 kilometer race um, and our season is geared around that we don't we genuinely i mean that sounds a bit I don't mean to sound arrogant but finishing a marathon so what. You know, you you finish a marathon as a qualifier for Comrades. You have to run a marathon in under four hours and fifty minutes, a standard twenty-six mile marathon. And the whole, the whole from January onwards, the whole build-up is designed to bring you, the runner, to a state of readiness by June the eleventh for the race, which will be June the eleventh this year. And it gradually builds up in distance. So our other very famous race is the Two Oceans which is in Cape Town, and it's called the Two Oceans because it starts on the one the one side, you're on the Indian Ocean, and by the time you finish, you're on the Atlantic Ocean side of Cape Town. And that's 56 kilometres, so that's a 35-miler. And all of those are stepping stones taking you to Comrades.
0: It's interesting you spoke about earlier the... That it was part of almost the culture of, like, said old grannies that don't have an interest in sport will watch. And it's sort of like what you said about London Marathon over here: is that people put it on because they know someone that's in it. But like I said, that's a forty-four kilometer race, a twenty-six mile race. This is a an ultra marathon, which takes it, it takes everything to a new level. Ultra marathon running is is different in terms. Yeah. Of-
1: so it's, I mean, there there are ultra marathons that are longer than Comrades. Mm. There are ultra marathons that are s- tougher than Comrades. But Comrades is a, a blend of it has a magic to it. The first of all, it's it's 100 years old. Uh, secondly, it, it it's brutal. So it's it's plus minus 90 k's. It changes every year because of roadworks and alterations on the mm. way. But call it 90 kilometers. It's brutal. The hills are the hills are horrendous. Um, it's usually run in intense heat, even though it's winter. It's it's KwaZulu Natal. That's a subtropical province. It's the Zulu province. So um, and then um, it's very rich in tradition, and I think that's what what get makes it so special. It changes direction every year. So one year it is up from the city of Durban to the city of Peter Maldsberg. That's the up run. This, year's, this next year's run is down from Peter Maritzburg to Durban.
0: Didn't realize it's matched.
1: Uh, yeah, 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 and, you, and if you, you, you can't call yourself a proper Comrades Marathons runner until you've done it in both directions. So it's, then they, give you a, they give you, if you do it in both directions, they give you what's known as the back-to-back medal. That means you've gone up and you've gone down, or you've gone down and you've gone up. Then there is a tradition of green numbers. Every, every runner who runs it 10 times, is given a number forever that is colored green. And and that number is retired. That is your number forever. So my number is 2403. I would kill if I saw anyone else wearing 2403. Wow. Some of the numbers in Comrades become very famous. And, And then when you've done 20, you get a double green. When you've done 30, which I've done, you get a triple green. But the person who's done the most, Barry Holland, has done 48 Comrades. He will get a quintuple green not next year, but he'll get it in 2024. The start is the most emotional. I mean, I think anyone who's ever been the start of the Comrades starts with our national anthem. Of course, it's Sikalele, Africa. Then it has a, a working song called Shoshalosa that everybody sings. Shoshalosa. And they sing that song. Then we have Chariots of Fire. Really? Okay, then it plays of Fire. Yeah. And then the race has started with a cockerel crow by a man called Max Grimborn. A Trimble, and I'm not going to try and do it. but It's kind of <laughs> twice. He died in 1985, but they recorded it. And when you hear the cockerel crow twice, you know you're going. And it's it's a very symbolic moment because immediately after the cockerel crow, a cannon fires, bang, and then you're off. And it's gun to gun. It's not chip to chip. So if you're at the back, oh, and the other thing, it's not it's not your normal. Ultra marathon. That's and, and I love ultramarathons, so but is, which is kind of for the lunatic fringe. This is twenty thousand people, mm. so it's almost the size. It looks like a London marathon or a New York marathon when it sets off, and then the final and the other traditions. But the final, most brutal tradition is that the race ends at half past five in the afternoon because it's winter. It ends as it's getting dark, and they don't they don't care if you're and it finishes in a stadium. On the down run, it finishes in the stadium called Moses and Vida up run Scottsville. And a person is selected. It's been me one year. And you turn your back on the runners who are coming in. You turn your back. And the official does this to you. And then you fire a gun. And if a person is one step from the finish line, it's so sorry. Congratulations. Come back next year. You're not a finisher. It's brutal. And that is it. That's probably the biggest tradition of all. And the whole country comes to a standstill. People throw things at their televisions because here comes this poor woman with a gammy leg and she's just coming to the stadium and she's got a minute and a half to get round, And she's struggling and the crowd's going mad. And then this, they show you the guy's putting, getting the gun ready. He's raising it up in the air. And she's here she comes. Bang, sorry, you didn't make it or bang you did make it you know you just crashed across the line inside but that's the most dramatic I think that's probably the most dramatic it, it, part of
0: it. I mean it's all of those things you've mentioned the cockerel the songs leading up to it the the fact that yeah. there's 20,000 race entrants the, the the gunfire at the end that make it and the fact that it's been long standing there's a huge amount of tradition yeah, that it, makes yeah. it amazing it really is. 100
1: years to the race um, we haven't had 100, 100 runs because it it was uh, canceled during uh, the Second World War for about four years. And then, don't even get me on the subject, I get so angry, but we lost two years because of, I don't say COVID, we lost two years because of lockdown, yeah. uh, which was disgraceful. But anyway, we didn't have a race, so we're back. Um, and this will be the second since then. And this so will be the
0: like
1: 100th running will be in about three years' time.
0: Amazing. And, and your, in terms of your accomplishments with it, I mean, you've won it more than anyone else nine times, eight times being in a row. Uh, I mean, I bet the people running up next to you, your competitors were thinking, well, there's no point because he's just going gonna to win. But then you've also been helping to organize it after parties. How did you yeah. start to get further involved? Is it just because you are a standout runner that, that you get more involved?
1: I could not be there on the day. So at the moment, what I'm doing is I'm part of the TV commentary team and I, and i've had you know i don't want to pat myself on the back but we've had good feedback about how good our commentary team is uh, because one of the runners kuen kuen walker knows everything about every runner every detail the other one um mossy Bodhi whitehead is just so enthusiastic he's just incredible and then i know the i know where they are on the course because i know the course so well so if if they're running this year, there's a place called there's a place called Forty Fifth Cutting, which is one of the hills near the end. And I told the whole country, listen, I said, Tepe Jajani, who's the guy? He's the runner who won it. I said, when he gets to the crash barrier, he's going to change gear and sprint. Watch, because this is his last chance to get away. And it was like I, I called the race because this is exactly what he did. But I know I know the tactics. I know, and he looked so strong. I knew he's going to win it. Um, yeah, and then it just. Well, wow, you know, I can wax lyrical about comrades all the time because it brings out all the best in people. And and for many years, it showed South Africans what South Africa could be, you know, in terms of a multicultural, multiracial uh, men and women uh, all striving together. There was comrades showing us what we could be and how incredible we are when we we're all striving for a common goal, which is to beat that final cutoff gun. Yes, in the front of the race... The runners are racing each other, and it's as intense as any other race. But, but even then, you know, I'm trying to think. One of your rivals misses his sponge when he goes through a a seconding table. You will hand him a sponge. You know, it's, it's just that's just the spirit of comrades. Um, and, and by the way, our tables are they're the best in the world. On and on race day, you can ask. They're probably about. Three quarters of a million spectators on the road, wow. and they all they all do what you call a barbecue, but a barbecue is a really watered down version of what we do. Right? We bry. <laughs> <laughs> the bry is just. I'm even saying it with the Afrikaans accent. That is just different from a barbecue. It is. Barbecue, I think of some little like hamburger patches, the is <laughs> chops and wurwos, which is a sort. And it's and so that whole race, the whole way down, people are brying. People are drinking beer. people are screaming and shouting and shouting encouragement, and they don't go. They tape off their area on the side of the road a week before they take that's our area, that's where we're sitting. That's where we're putting up right. Um, so I've been a spectator on the road and I've participated and yeah i have I now have a legendary after party uh, <laughs> on, on on the on the Monday after the race, which um you have to be pretty strong to come to that because. But but the runners come in and they all and it's so wonderful because they all wear their medals and they're limping and because everybody limps especially after a down run Woo, you limp and they all come in and we and it's just a party but what we do is if you feel like telling your story and tell you tell people what happened you can tell people how your day went you know what what you did and some of the some of the the stories I mean I can tell you this year I don't have to give the lady's name away but she said. Here's my medal, and by the way, the comrades medal is the smallest, most pathetic medal in the world. It's <laughs> tiny compared to. The, I've got a London marathon medal. Yeah, big one. Yeah. You know, the comrades medal's tiny. It's, it's like a, it's like a, a one pound piece, and but it's an understatement of the thing because I've also seen a Victoria Cross, and the Victoria Cross is very understated. It's tiny little dark bronze medal with a purple maroon yeah. ribbon. That's it. Sometimes the understatement is more, anyway, this lovely lady, she told us a story. She said, and this was, a, so I'll try and do it as quickly as I can. She said, when I, when I woke up in rehab, having been rescued, uh, sorry, not in rehab, in ICU, when I woke up in ICU, having been brought back to life for the third time for a massive drug overdose, I had one message on my cell phone. It was from my drug dealer telling me that he had some really good stuff for me to take if I got hold of him. Not one message from my family, not one message from my loved ones, nothing. Because I'd stolen from them, lied to them, Baba, but we all know the story of, of, of an addicted person. She said, but today, this morning, the morning after I finished Comrades Marathon, and she's clean. You know, she got herself clean. She said, the morning after I finished Comrades Marathon, I've got 335 messages. Wow. That was her story, you know so
0: beautiful you know
1: those are the and then we the funniest one, which I can't do because it takes fifteen minutes and it will take up a whole. The funniest one comes from an English guy about about an English guy who who what have, It's the funniest I tell it every year. I wish I could remember his name. He came to get a silver medal. we also have different colored medals for different times yeah in the, if you run London you get a standard medal. that's your medal you know, whatever. we have a medal for break top ten get gold. Seven and a half hours, you get silver. All the bronze medal for 11. Anyway, um, he came to get a silver medal, and he was already, and he was in A-batch. He was starting in A-batch. And I can't, I don't want to spoil the whole story, but just as as the cockle crowed and the gun went, somebody trod, trod on the back of his heel, and his shoe came off. <laughs> and it's how he tried to get his shoe back. Well, A-batch are the springboks. They go through. Yeah. B-batch... Are the wildebeest. Those are slightly bigger and heavier, and they go through and they're hitting you out the way where you're trying to get your shoe. And after the wildebeest C and D and E batch, those are the buffaloes. <laughs> boom boom. Yeah. And finally, the last two batches go through, and those are the elephants. Anyway, <laughs> it's, how, it's how one of the elephants found his shoe for him. It's the funniest. Anyway, that's our after party. So you know, amazing.
0: It's can, can, yeah. can you give us an idea of what the course is like in terms of beauty, elevation? Terrain. Okay,
1: so, so you drop 1500 meters if you if you're running down. So you start in what we call the high felt. High felt is open grassland, uh, kind of like acacia trees and things like that. That's so I'm going to do a down run because it's next year's down. Um, and then you and but the this other thing about the down run is for the first 50 k's you run up. It feels like that. All you ever do is run up, and the hills are. I, I don't know, you know, because I'm trying to think of a of a similar race in in. The rest of the world, but Heartbreak Hill, I've, done, I've run Boston. Heartbreak hurts. Uh, at 20 miles, you hit three hills in a row called the Heartbreak Hills, the Newton Hills in, in Boston. They hurt because you've been running so fast when you get there. But if they were in Comrades, none of them would have a name because the, the hill, uh, on the up run, there's a hill called Potty Shorts, which is named after... A farmer who lived there called Polly Bentham. Polly Shorts is two kilometres long, so it's one mile of solid uphill straight. But you start it when you get to 80k's, and then you go up. In the middle of the race, there's a hill called Inchanga which is Zulu for blade of a knife, and that is yeah, also two k's straight up, no mercy. The, the, The hills are the hills are brutal. But the descents, you see, it's the downhills as well, because they smash your legs to pieces, mm. running down, down. there. So if you do the down run, you, you do obviously eventually lose height, but you lose height in the last 30Ks. The first 60 of Uphill or flat, and then you—the word, best word for it—is you plummet down to the Indian Ocean, and your legs that have been softened up and tenderized by plus minus 50, 60 k's of running now have to slam into the ground. You—you you lose all your toenails. I don't want to put people off, but you know, toenails are for of sissies. And you—and you—and yeah—and you, then eventually, you from the top of a place called Fields Hill, you can look into the distance and you can see the Indian Ocean. It's like gleaming there with the skyline of Durban, and and. Some idiot will say we're nearly there, guys, and you've got 21 k's to go. You've got half a You <laughs> can see here. it <laughs> when you get to 10 k's to go. The same idiot will say, "Let's sprint."
0: <laughs> is that is that you? Are you the idiot that says, "Let's sprint"? No, no, like no, no, yeah, I'm, I have deep respect for that race. It sounds beautiful, just in terms oh. of everything about it. Well,
1: so, so it's a mixture of everything. I mean, it's urban. You know, to begin, you know, when you finish, you're in a you're in a major African yeah. city, Durban. Um, even peter maritzburg is a is a quite a big town uh, but in the middle you run through an area called the valley of a thousand hills which is truly beautiful we have a famous author called alan payton who wrote a book called cry, cry the beloved country and he wrote about the rolling hills of the valley of a thousand hills and you look down at them and these valleys are full of homesteads and settlements and people who live down there with little wisps of smoke coming up and there's a big river that goes through it called the umgeni which by the way is another hysterical event that we do in South Africa called the doozy the umzen is a small river that flows into the umgeni and you can paddle all the way from Peter Marilsburg to Durban you finish in the Indian Ocean and it takes three days and I've done 10 of those so you have to you have to do the doozy and and so you paddle but the ridiculous thing about the doozy is at times in order to be quicker you can run over a mountain carrying your boat Rather than paddle around. so the river will take a long, lazy bend round, but it's quicker to run over. So I have a photograph of myself running past a little through a crawl, past a little uh, a little hut, hut, um, mud hut with with a thatch roof, with a man smoking his pipe, sitting on a paint tin, and a pig next to him and a dog, and the river's five kilometres away, and I'm running with my mate. We're running carrying a double. Without paddles in our hands, <laughs> but anyway, that's a doozy. So, the, so you look down at you look down at the Valley of a Thousand Hills. Yeah, that's very that's beautiful. Um, and then there's a one. You see the race. I forget the traditions, but as you go through the Valley of a Thousand Hills and you're running, there's a huge embankment that goes for about two kilometers, and on that embankment are shields and and plaques of anyone who's ever run the race. You can put your name up there. And so there are all these shields with people's names on it. So Dominic, you know, and and your race number, 1754, whatever it might be. And some of them are, be- are fantastic. Some of them have got human ash on them. Some of them have got flowers. Dad, we bought this for you because you love this race so much. Wow. Um, and I always say to every novice when they're about to run their first comrades, I say, go and have a look at the wall because you can't put your name on it the day before. But the day afterwards, you can order it and they, they put it up for you yeah. so that, that you know that, that yeah it's just it's a uh, if i wax lyrical about comrades it's because it's just such a it's a unique it's unique i'm trying to think of the english equivalent it would be something like the grand national the horse race yeah Where only, only the english would have i don't know what it is four miles where every single year a horse dies you know and and the horses are so exhausted at the end. well that's kind of like comrades you know we had two deaths this year because
0: the it was hot, hot weather as well I imagine. And you have so many people taking part that I don't, I suppose, aren't necessarily ready for it.
1: Yeah, look, I don't. That sounds like I, I mean, look, there are many years that go past with no one dying, yeah. you know, but but we have a hospital tent at the end that's pretty busy. And I've been I've been in there a couple of times myself, <laughs> you know, mainly you get dehydrated. So they put you on a they put you on a, a drip on an I.V. And 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 more often than not, you recover. I've I've learned the quickest way to recover after an ultra is to put your head your feet above your heart. So raise them on a pillow, put them above your heart, and it and it sends back the stale, unoxygenated blood back to your heart, and you recover quite quickly normally like that. But yeah, every year there are there are a few people who get hospitalised. I mean, it's ninety kilometres, and it's not always hot, by the way. I mean, we, you know, some years it can be cold, but generally, because it's kwazulu and Natal, is hot.
0: It, it, I mean you competed professionally for for a number of years and you've spoken about the beauty of this race of South Africa um but th- there was a time period where you couldn't compete internationally due to the apartheid policies in South Africa it must have been incredibly difficult
1: yeah so no, listen one thing I didn't I didn't compete professionally there was no prize money there was no sponsorship in my day nothing like that you okay. got a gold medal so I'm, I'm strictly kind of back in the amateur days. Um, but what did happen is obviously if you picked up a certain amount of notoriety or fame from from winning the race, and I used to be in demand as a speaker, and I were, appeared in a couple of television adverts, you know, that kind of stuff. So there was, but for the first part of my running career, I was still very much an academic at university teaching or else a student uh, getting my degree. And, yeah, and then we were um, – Obviously, uh, we were excluded from international sport um, most of the time because well South Africa was the polecat of the, of the world with our with our apartheid policy, so we weren't at the Olympics and we you know we weren't playing the rugby and what mm-hmm. but I was I was able to get into the odd race running as a club runner um, for my university, so not representing my country. Um, so I ran a race called the London to Brighton three times which I ran for my university there and I ran the US 50 mile champs in Chicago in 1984 again running in my university
0: colors and um and I know that it affected obviously cricket and rugby having having interest in that sport um but you it was something that you were campaigning against you met Nelson Mandela um during that time period as well how was the impact obviously it was a massive impact on the country but on what was your experience of that time
1: well it was just a horrendous time so i mean the 1981 they made the comrades part of the of the um, apartheid government 20 years celebration of them being in, in government and they had a whole lot of tank parades and fly pass and politicians lecturing us like they do now nothing's changed um i mean globally and then uh, they made comments part of those celebrations so in that particular race I wore a black armband protesting against the fact that the race had associated itself with that um, and it was a very unpopular winner I had uh, tomatoes and eggs thrown at me, in fact I just finished a piece writing about that race for a Dutch running magazine um, and we were excluded, yeah, and then um you know, it, it came. It came to an end in 1989, 1990. So I, I didn't meet Mandela in those days because he was very much still in jail yeah. on Robben Island, which is an island off Cape Town. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, I met him afterwards. And uh, what a forgiving, wonderful man! Yeah, just uh, unbel- unbelievably gentle and kind soul, but with a determination in him that you could see. Yeah. But he always had a he always had a word for for everybody. Um, and I remember I was—I I missed a plane from running a race. I missed a plane flight from, from a place called Port Elizabeth to Johannesburg. I had missed it because I got to the, I got to the airport too late. And the check-in lady said to me, but you're very lucky because we've got a VIP who hasn't boarded yet, so you can board with him. And it turned out to be Mandela. So he and I walked out together across the tarmac to go to the plane he by by the way when you think of the overblown how politicians think they're so important he had one bodyguard with him one bodyguard and he sat in economy class on the plane and we walked across the tarmac and the whole the plane everybody had got on board except us two so the people were looking out the window and he's very he was very tall and and gray-headed and and i'm quite short so we were walking out together and he looked at me and he said, Bruce, I bet all the people in the plane are asking each other, who's that funny old grey-headed guy with the famous Bruce eyes? <laughs> which I, which
0: I, Yeah,
1: well, It was quite a good one.
0: That is, a, that is amazing. I mean, I, I went over to South Africa in 2014 just after his passing, along with a lot of the the politicians from our country. And it was such a momentous occasion and very sad but um like you said there the the impact that individual had on on a country was was huge yes unbelievable and um i really wanted to touch on something that you're doing now and a a massive thing people from the uk will be well versed with parkrun and know what parkrun is and you are a massive part of parkrun existing in south africa what's your relationship with it and how has that been going
1: yeah, well, and I'm absolutely, absolutely loving it. It has such given me such a sense of purpose. So, you know, you could say my my running career, and, and and you know, thanks for mentioning it. Whatever, you could say that that really was kind of selfish and for myself. I mean, obviously, if if and it, it, it probably did, but if it inspired some people to start running and people to run the comrades marathon, that's brilliant. But parkrun is about giving back and about I don't know, Just it, it, it gives me such a sense of purpose. I'm already excited because um, I'm going to parkrun on Saturday, and here we are, you know, uh, talking. And, and so a lot of people don't know that, of course, with all things wonderful, um, including rugby, uh, they're all South African. So parkrun was started by Paul St. Hewitt, yeah. um, who's, who's English and lives in the UK, but he went to Potchefstroom Boys High in South Africa. And he actually seconded me in the Comrades Marathon. He was a mate who gave me my drinks during one of my Comrades Marathon wins. And he started Parkrun in the UK. And we all know what a success it was. And yep. I went across 2011 to run the London Marathon. And Paul persuaded me to run Bushy Park, Parkrun, the day before. And thank goodness he did because I saw the magic with my wife, Jill, who also ran. And I think, I don't know, I was in my 50s and. um I, what I found extraordinary, I ran 18 minutes and something, and I was 19th. I finished in 19th place. But Jenny, my wife, was she's a much better runner now. She trains quite quite often. But she wasn't really a runner in those days, and yet I saw her finish. was still with lots of people behind her, and we saw the magic. And So we said, we've got to start in South Africa, and we did. And to cut the story short, we started um, 2011. 26 people came. And now we have uh, 1.3 registered parkrunners in South Africa and we've only just skimmed the surface. You know, we're, we're so passionate to get parkrun, particularly into the townships and into the rural areas, into disadvantaged areas where it can really make a massive difference um, because we have a lot of wonderful statistics in South Africa about what a wonderful country it is, but we have one unenviable one, and that is that we have the most number of of heart attacks and and those kinds of problems uh, per capita than just about any other country in the world. So we, we're very unfit, unhealthy, unwell country. And if Parkrun can do that, that's fantastic. But most importantly, I think we all know that Parkrun's about community. So that's also bringing communities together is invaluable. Um, and one of the enviable statistics from Parkrun South Africa is that we were the first country to say you can walk. We don't care if you're a slow walker. We will wait for you. We will take your time. We will give you a result. And so that is something that that we are that Parkrun globally is trying to spread. We are proud of the fact. And I stand open to correction, but the UK average time for a Parkrun is 29 minutes. We are proud of the fact that our average time is 43 minutes. That means we've got lots of people who are over an hour. And um, yeah. I've, Slipped and broke my leg the other day, so I will be hobbling a park <laughs> run at a place called Victoria Lake in Johannesburg on Saturday. I will probably take about an hour, and I won't be last—not by miles.
0: But you'll be doing it like a lot of other people, and that's what, like you said, oh. that's what it's all about. And the impact that it's having on people's lives will be immeasurable.
1: Yeah, and so I'm hitting—I'm well on my way to getting 500 park runs. But I'm much proud of the fact that I've done more than a hundred volunteer instances. It brings the volunteer spirit out of people, and 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 how giving back it just seems to be so rewarding.
0: Amazing, and, and and I hope that that continues to expand and gets adopted, and will then continue yeah, well, across across an amazing country. Um, well, we would love to get it
1: going into you know up into Africa. We've got Zimbabwe screaming at us, Botswana screaming at us. You mentioned Tanzania; they're begging. So as soon as as soon as we get the go ahead from the from the global head office, we can't wait to take it into Africa as well.
0: Exciting! And I'm going to ask a very boring English question about: yeah, Does right. the fact that it's in South Africa uh, is that are there ever any issues with animals around park runs in certain areas?
1: Oh, we've got some buttes. Yeah, I, um, I actually wrote a piece on South Africa park runs for the for the newsletter. Um, not, obviously, we have to be—you know—safety is absolutely paramount. But you can't, you know, keep all our animals away. So we've we've got beautiful photographs of people running with giraffe next to them. Um, Harabia Sport Dam Park this. There are there are zebras, uh, impala, um, but okay. then our favourite one. So i don't know how much time we've got left, but my, my favourite one is okay. one one December. We accidentally or somehow or other intercepted a message from a park run in Huddersfield. And the message was something like this. It said, come on, everybody. Um, it's a beautiful winter's day. Uh, it's only, I don't know, minus one degree. There's no black ice. The, the sky is blue. There's no threat of snow. And somebody thinks they saw a badger. So you must come. Okay, so we replied because we were starting a park run in a township area very close to the Mozambique border, uh, called Inkomazi. And we were just our up, open. so just cheekily we replied, and this was true. We said, uh, come on, everybody, it's plus 35 degrees C, <laughs> it's a beautiful day, it's not too humid, and we've got a great run through the township and, and through some sugarcane fields, um, and we've had to delay the start because the people coming from a place called Lower Sabi can't get past the five lions lying in the road. (laughs) (laughs) And then we waited, and we got a very rude message back from Huddersfield. (laughs) I can't, because this is mean, on radio, I can't tell you the words they said to us. But I need to emphasize, those lions were not in the park, they weren't on the park route, but they were blocking the road for some of our volunteers who were coming there from inside a game reserve. So those are the kinds of things. Yeah, we we, we sometimes get snakes. Um, this is snake season now, and they're not um, they're not adders. You know, they they serious snakes, um, but very very rarely. Um, and I think the probably the, the most beautiful thing is the wide range of parkruns that we have. But by the way, I've run in the UK. I, the last parkrun that I did in the UK was in um, was in the Outer Hebrides. Uh, in in Stornoway, the capital there, it starts underneath a, a castle. It was too beautiful for words. So, you know, the UK has fantastic parklands, but we have everything from kind of urban to township. A township parkland would be, to be honest, is is ugly. There's litter. Yeah. There's a dead dog lying in the corner. A rusting bicycle. But the vibe is unbelievable because they all warm up to music, they all dance and sing, and now everybody runs. It's great, and um, and some of the people, a lot of the people walk. We can have a park run in the desert, like Akhenes. Uh, we're in Namibia, so we've got a park run there in Swakopmund. Wow. You're in the desert where there's just quiver trees and silence and sand dunes. Um, and you can be running, if you're on your own, if you're in a bit of a vacuum, you're not sure... You, the, the only thing you can hear is your own breathing. It's silent in a desert, um, so you've probably got a good feeling of what it would like to be on the moon. And then we have beautiful mountains, the Drakensberg um, mountains. Which, if you you run there with that, that is a backdrop. It's beautiful. And then we have a lot of park runs that run on beaches. So Melkbos park run, you you run on the beach, which is firm sand, two and a half k's out, turn around, come back for two and a half k's, but there in front of you is this iconic view of Table Mountain. So you've got Table Mountain, you've got Cape Town in front of you. So, yeah, I could go on about the beautiful our park runs, are a full range of well, a lot of people have said South Africa, you have the whole world in one country. I think we almost do.
0: And just finally, before I ask you for your piece of advice, what are your objectives with running now? You're still running, you're still a big part of what we well, spoke about park run. Do you have something that you're working towards, or is it just being part of that community?
1: Um, so you know, so our, our whole aim is to is to is to leave the country a better place for you know. When I say our, I'm talking about all our all our whole team. On Saturday, we have our end of the year gathering of some of our ambassadors and people at Parkrun. That's to thank them, but also to thank them for what they're doing. Is to leave South Africa a better, richer place because of Parkrun. Um, my personal aim. I have to be very quiet in case my family hears, is to be able to run forever. Um, you know, until 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 literally I can't run. I don't and one of the biggest gift I ever gave myself, and that would be my advice to somebody, is give yourself permission to be slow. People become too wrapped up in how fast they are. I've done that. You know, I mean I've had a couple of world records, I've done that. And I'm very proud of that chapter, but that chapter's closed if I'm slow. I just want to be out there, be part of it, to carry on running, and I'm going to keep on going forever because the subject that I taught, archaeology, and here basically from Johannesburg right up to the Red Sea is where humankind was born. So we as a species came out of Africa, and the earliest fossils and the earliest hominid records are all the way from here, all the way up to the Red Sea, and obviously through the famous sites of, of in, in Kenya and in Ethiopia, Alderbaugh Gorge and those kind of places. But the one thing you get out of out of Africa is from the very earliest times, we were the best running animal on the planet. We're not as fast as a cheetah, and I've seen a cheetah at full speed. I've seen a cheetah kill a blesbok. Um, which is a quite a big antelope, and you've never in your life seen it smack it just uh, when it hits it, um, and it travels at speed to do it, but it can only sustain that for kind of 400, 600 meters, and then it's exhausted. So we we can't run as fast as a cheetah, we but we can run almost all day, as we can prove in races like the Comrades Marathon, we can run all day, and that is what we did. As a hunter-gatherer species, in our earliest times on this planet, we hunted animals to exhaustion. We worked as teams, as communities, and we killed those animals with rocks and stones and with our bare hands and ate them. And that's why we are here, because uh, because we're the greatest running animal. Oh, We also sweat, which, you know, that's a very special adaptation. Um, and, you know, we have these big brains that can make us think and in, in the most wonderful running limbs. And so that for me is my message. I need to keep on running until I just simply can't. And at that point, you know, put one of my favorite uh, Led Zeppelin albums on and let me slip quietly
0: away. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really funny to uh, read a small interview with you, which where you said, yeah, I might be a really fast ultra marathon runner, but I'm also a 217 marathon runner a sub 15 5k runner and you know it was it was kind of like well you know i'm actually pretty we're actually pretty fast all of the disciplines not just ultras
1: yeah so my friends knew how to tease me my friends still know how to tease me they can tease me as much as they like about ultras and they can tell me well friends you know for instance some of my friends and my mother in particular never forgave me for not winning 10 comments so they will go on at me for not winning 10 when i tell them nine's not bad you know they they still will go on at me, but I, they don't get a reaction from. Me, but they get a reaction from me if they say, "Yeah, but Bruce, you were never fast." I will. They get me every time because I'll spin around and say, "Listen, 29 minutes for 10Ks is not jogging, you know, or 217 for a marathon isn't jogging." Or my actual my PB for 5Ks was 13:39, but it was on a slight downhill course, so I don't count it. But I've got a, like a 14:20 on the track, which obviously is not going to terrify anyone. Anyone of the Top Kenyans or Ethiopians, but it's not jogging, no, so they would always get a re- they would always get a reaction from me if they you took the bait. My- yeah, I took the bait every time.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's it, genuinely as someone who loves that part of the world, whose parents got um, married in South Africa, it's been genuinely a, a pleasure and an honour to, to hear about this race, your love and passion for bringing part run over there, and i greatly appreciate your time. So, so that the final. No, thank
1: you been a lot of fun yeah the yeah, final thing
0: from uh, from you that i'd like is i mean you've offered pieces of wisdom throughout this podcast but uh, one piece of advice that you would like to offer a guest that will be coming on in the future
1: uh, wow um oh, gee that's quite a tricky one i think i would say to somebody uh yeah i think i would take that thing don't be afraid to be slow don't be, af- don't be afraid of ridicule because you won't be ridiculed. Um, don't, yeah, don't be afraid to be slow. Just go out there and do it. That would be it. Don't be afraid to be slow. Just go out there and do it. Perfect. And make it a lifetime commitment. Make it so, so, something that you say you will always be a runner.
0: Bruce, thank you so much for your time. Thank,
1: thank you very much, Longley. It was great. Thank you.
0: And thank you so much for listening to episode four in season seven of the outside and active podcast. I hope you enjoyed learning about the comrades marathon and the interesting stories that led to Bruce bringing park run from England over to South Africa and how it's grown exponentially. It's amazing to hear and and long may that continue. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you think you know someone who might enjoy this episode or this podcast just as much as you, let's grow this community, forward it onto them, get them involved, and uh, be excited for some of the guests that we have coming up in the near future. Also, don't forget to go and check out the sponsors of this episode, Zen Bee they are offering amazing high protein pasta they use as much of the whole plant as possible seed stem, skins all of it so go and view the full zenb product range today at www.zenb.co.uk it would be massively appreciated all that's left to say is i hope you have a fantastic week we'll be back next week with a, another guest and another episode of the outside and active podcast and until that time enjoy the outdoors